So good morning, everyone. So a lot of us fasted this week for three days, just as a way corporately as a church, basically saying to the Lord, you know, we're more hungry for you than we are even for food. And it's just a way of expressing that as a group. Um, does anybody, though, out of the fast, or maybe it has nothing to do with the fast, just something this week where maybe the Lord answered a prayer or you saw him act or heal, or does anyone have just a short, brief little testimony that they don't want to share? Yeah. So uh, there's a young woman that I've been getting to know over the last year, and the Lord has been... Um, making himself known to her. And she and I got to have a great conversation this past week. And she's, I'm just, it's so exciting to see like all the changes that, you know, are happening because she's meeting Jesus. Anyway, I told her when I became a new believer, I, I took a class called the Alpha Course and what a huge impact it had on me. And, and I said, and our church is actually getting ready to start one. And she said, oh, really? And so I started telling her about it and she said, I would love to go. And so I told her it was in January and she said, oh, I just wish it was starting sooner. She's planning to come, but she wishes it would start sooner. So um, it, I've been praying for people to invite. She did, not, I had, she did not cross my mind, but the Lord just plopped her in my lap. And I was like, oh, of course. So um, just super excited about that. And maybe her boyfriend, too. Oh, that's fun. That's good. Yeah. Usually when I have dreams, I only remember fractions of them. But this one? is sticking, so I feel like I need to share it. Um, over this week, I had this dream, and there were several of us ladies from the church, and we were going away for some sort of retreat or something, and we had a three-bedroom, and it made me think of our main room and the two, you know. So we had this three-bedroom condominium, and somebody had kids, and the kids came in and crawled onto my bed, and they left dirt and mud and crud, gravel on my sheets. And I was like annoyed. I was annoyed that I had gravel and mud on my clean sheets. And then I woke up and I was talking to Joe about it and it just made me think, we've got Alpha coming up and maybe new believers. And we like our little church the way it is with all of us being regular believers and knowing all the rules and words and everything. But we need to be prepared for new kids coming in and making messes of our stuff. So anyway. Thank you, Stacy. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick. This wasn't necessarily a result of the fast, but uh, it's uh, someone that I had reconnected with after maybe a year and a half or so. Does anybody here maybe know Brad Nichols? Um, so, yeah, he had had a car question for me. He came over, and I just listened to a story for you know, 15 minutes or so, and I was able to just kind of listen to where he is right now. And I, I just I reinvited him and uh, also to a men's group, and I just wanted to say that there are some people who – we may know that we may have lost touch with that we can reach out to and just love on and maybe love them back to the family of God. So, yeah. No, that's good. Well, cool. So if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings 22. Let me flip.
There's only 25 chapters in 2 Kings. We're almost there. I'm going to go ahead and read it. 2 Kings 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkoth. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. You guys see that last phrase? That last phrase, to not turn aside or to the right or to the left, it's used a lot of places in Scripture. It's that phrase is how we should follow the Lord. For instance, in Deuteronomy 5.32, it says, You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 20, it's talking about what's required of a king. And it said that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and he may not turn aside from the commandment, here it is, neither to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, um, this is the word given to Joshua and Israel before they possessed the land. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Now, of all the kings in First and Second Kings, only Josiah is said to not turn to the right or to the left. That's not said about any other king. But it doesn't mean that the guy was perfect. It doesn't mean that he was just as pure as the wind-driven snow. What not turning to the right or to the left means was that he was repentant. Everybody say repentant. Repent means to turn. That's all it means. And, and no matter what Josiah got himself caught up in, he always turned back to God. When he got caught up into something, he didn't say, okay, well, that's it. I'm now going to walk away from the Lord. He always turned back to God. Let me give you an example, 2 Kings 22, 11. So Josiah, they, get, they find the scroll of Scripture, and it said, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, it said he tore his clothes. You might say, well, you know, we typically don't do that in the church nowadays. Do not tear your clothes. There's other things we can do. But what was tearing his clothes about? It was, he hears the scripture and it's this outward response. But inwardly, what was the outward response showing? Later on, there's a prophetess named Huldah, and she prophesies to Josiah, and she talks about this moment when he tore his clothes. And here's what she says, verse 18, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent. In Hebrew, that word means soft. 
Everybody say saw. That same Hebrew word is used in other verses, like where oil will soften something. Physically. The word means soft. The word means tender. Because your heart was soft and you humbled yourself before the Lord. What, what is hum, humbling yourself is you and God are in agreement. You're in agreement about your sin. You're in agreement about his goodness. Right? And you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. So in weeping and tearing his clothes, what he was showing was inwardly he was repentant. And what is repentance? It is be having a soft heart to the Lord. Being receptive, being sensitive, being responsive. A soft heart to the Lord. And humbling yourself before the Lord. That's Josiah. So what does this verse mean? And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. It doesn't mean he was perfect. It doesn't mean he was sinless. It doesn't mean the guy never screwed up. I'm telling you, especially in the church, the more you get to know pastors, the more you get to know Christian leaders, and you think, oh, that guy, that guy is perfect. Then you get to know them. Not one of you is perfect. Not one of you doesn't screw up a lot. A lot. He had a soft heart. One of your great goals in life is to keep your heart soft. So that when God speaks to you, you respond. Humbled himself, repented, and turned back to the Lord. But this is this is the key to Josiah. He did it his whole life. How many of you have met somebody, maybe for a season or two, they turn back to God? And then what happens for the next five years? Right? Josiah was one of the guys that every season of his life, he turned back to God. And so he fit the verse. He didn't turn aside to the right or to the left. But how do you do that? You know, there's clues. There's clues in the chapter. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent to Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters and the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. So he's, re, he's literally a repair project for the temple. 
the previous kings haven't been so nice to the temple. He's like, we got to fix this thing. This is where the Lord wanted to put his name. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Probably from Manasseh and earlier on, the, it had probably been lost. The scriptures had either been lost or concealed, hidden. Maybe they didn't want to read it, so they hid it, right? And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asaiah the king's servant saying, quote, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So this is the 18th year of Josiah's reign. He's 26 years old at this point. And he starts this project to rebuild the, repair the temple in Jerusalem. And during the construction project, they find the book of the law, the scroll of the Torah. You guys ever heard the word Torah? Now, Law is one translation. The word Torah is much wider in meaning. It can mean laws. It could mean commandments. It can mean instructions. It can mean teachings. Right? It, that scroll of Deuteronomy and the books of their scripture had been lost. It had literally been lost. They rediscover it. Now listen to me. There's a huge national reformation that's about to take place in Israel. What launches it? They rediscover the scriptures. What launches it? They rediscover the scriptures. The obeying of the Bible, the reading of the Bible, the learning of the Bible. To return to the Lord, this is the key. How does Josiah keep returning to the Lord? To return to the Lord, you have to return to the Bible, the written word of God. But why? What are the scriptures? The Bible's, the scriptures are the words of human authors, right? They're also fully the words of God. It's not one or the other, it's both and. I'm telling you, it seems like in the church, they've almost lost a sense of what this even is. When, when Deuteronomy was composed in Deuteronomy 1.3, 
it says, in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel. So who's giving the book of Deuteronomy? Moses, a human being. But then it says, according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. So is Deuteronomy from Moses or is Deuteronomy from God? Both. Deuteronomy was a record of Moses speaking and Deuteronomy is a record of God speaking. You know what we call this? We call it, everybody say inspiration. Inspiration is what we refer to and we call when we refer to the Bible. What is it? God inspires a human author so that when the human author speaks or writes words, it's not just his words, but God's words. This, this inspiration, Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy 3.16. How much scripture? All, what, is that, what does it say there? Say it loud. All scripture. The historical parts, the scientific parts, the theological parts, the poetic parts, all scripture. Here it is is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So Jesus and the New Testament apostles again and again and again would make statements that all the words of the Bible are authored by men and women and authored by God. Let me give you two examples. What about the book of Genesis? Jesus said that Moses was the author of Genesis. John 7, 22, quote, Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. What does this mean? Circumcision was given in Genesis chapter 17. It's the original circumcision event. So why would Jesus say, well, Moses gave it to you, but really it was the Father's. But why would he say, he's saying, Moses wrote it down for you. The author. But then Jesus also says that God authors the book of Genesis. In Matthew 17, verse 4 to 5, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said. So he who created them from the beginning said something. And then Jesus quotes a verse out of Genesis. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus says that God authored, and he quotes Genesis 1.27, and Genesis 2.24. If you were to open up the book of Genesis to chapter 2 and read verse 24, that verse is not somebody writing down a quote that God said. That verse is a comment about what just happened. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But Jesus says, God said that. You understand what I'm saying? God authored Genesis. 
How about the Psalms? Jesus said that David authored Psalms and God authored Psalms. Mark 12, 35 to 36. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, what? What? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So who wrote the Psalms, David or the Holy Spirit? Both. Inspiration. Now, a lot of people think inspiration is like divine dictation. God audibly speaks, and some guys, they're recording it. There's only a few times that happens in Scripture. Moses in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 34, that's divine dictation. Jeremiah, some of his prophecies, like Jeremiah chapter 36, divine dictation. John and Jesus, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is literally speaking, and it's divine dictation. He's writing it down word for word. Usually, the scriptures are not divinely dictated, but they are still divinely inspired. So what does God do? When God speaks through people, God uses that person's language. God uses that person's personality. He uses that person's upbringing. He uses that person's experiences, that person's education. Luke's education and Luke's research played a role in what Luke wrote. He uses the uniqueness of every human author. But but the, the, the personal qualities of the author... It wasn't like God's like, how am I going to speak word? How am I going to speak through them? That's not a barrier to God. God chose to do it like that. But here's what you, this is important. When you say the author of the scriptures are inspired, it's not like Shakespeare being inspired to write poetry. That's not what we mean. Oh, just this impression. This creativity. That's not what we mean. It's not that God just inspires the writer. Listen to me. God inspires the writer's every single word. This is the only book ever where that's the case. The exact word, the exact phrase of every verse, every chapter is inspired by God. And listen to me, God would not inspire an error. God would not inspire something that's wrong. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God proves true. Jesus constantly was saying the scriptures are absolutely inerrant. No error. Two examples, John 10, 34. Scripture cannot be broken. What does that mean? 
The, the, the Greek means it cannot be annulled. It cannot be falsified. It cannot be set aside. Every scripture is upheld. Jesus said in John 17, 17, it's real simple. What? Your word is truth. Do you understand what this is? So Josiah hears the words of the scriptures. And he realizes Judah's in this super dangerous place. Because generation after generation has not been obeying God and his word. 2 Kings twenty two thirteen, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. What is Josiah referring to? He's almost certainly had just heard Deuteronomy 28, 15. Because some of his phrases are directly from that chapter. Or Deuteronomy 28. Verse 15 says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So what does Josiah do? They've, re they've rediscovered the word of God. By the way, when the National Reformation starts, the first couple of verses of chapter 23, guess what Josiah does? He says, I want everyone in the country to read this book. Everybody's got to start reading it again. Because what had happened when you disconnect from the Bible, the God you believe in becomes the God of your own making. And the farther you disconnect from the Bible, the less real is the God in your mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? How do you keep so that the God you're relating to is the real God? It's, you have to stay connected to his, the scriptures so that your belief is what? Correct. So, Josiah knows the scriptures, he knows these timeless truths, but he also doesn't know, well, what about, how is this going to be applied right now? He's not sure. How am I to understand these verses in the book of Deuteronomy right now? When's this stuff going to be fulfilled? So he says, we got to do, we just discovered the Bible now we better go talk to a prophet. And he gets all his guys to go and sends them to a lady named Huldah that's living uh, down the street in Jerusalem. Verse 14. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Har Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe, why is it always giving you like these mini genealogies? It was the way to show this is real history. We're not making it up. Made, made up characters don't have parents and grandparents. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her. And she said to them, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 28, by the way. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back the word to the king. I want you to notice something. Huldah interprets the written word of God as the spoken word of God. How do we know that? 2 Kings 22, 11, When the king heard the words of what? The book of the law, he tore his clothes. How does Huldah interpret that? 2 Kings twenty two nineteen, Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke. So, in the earlier verse, it says, when you heard the words of the book of the law, but she says, speaking for the Lord speaking through her, when you heard what? How I spoke. See how they view scripture? Against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. So Huldah brings clarity on two things. They read these scriptural judgment warnings, and she says two things. Number one, God's wrath will not be quenched. His judgment is inevitable. You cannot change it. There is a, po a point of no return had been crossed. Same thing Jesus said to Jerusalem in Matthew 23. The, what was going to happen 40 years later, it didn't matter what the church of Acts did. That wasn't going to change. Think about that. There are points of no return. Secondly, because Josiah had repented and obeyed and led the nation in repentance, it's not going to happen in Josiah's lifetime. Judgment's going to happen, but she said, Josiah, down the road. Now, Huldah was, that is not a man's name. She's a lady. She's a prophetess. There's lots of prophetesses in Scripture. Miriam was a lady and a prophetess. Exodus 15, 20, 
Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Deborah was a woman, a prophetess, and the top leader in all of Israel in her day. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. There's an unnamed prophetess mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 8, verse 3 to 4. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, call his name. That's a long name. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father, my mother, this, and he gives this prophecy. Philip's daughters, Acts 21, 9. He had four unmarried daughters who what? Prophesied. Now, not only did Huldah prophesy, listen to me, she explained the scriptures to a delegation of men. Because in 2 Kings twenty two thirteen, what does Josiah say to a bunch of guys? Go, inquire the Lord for me and for the people and for, for Judah. Inquire what? Concerning the words of this book that has been found. I need someone to explain a little bit of this to me. So Huldah does that. If you read what she says, it's not just prophesying a future event. It's explaining what they read. But not only does Huldah explain the scriptures, what Huldah says, somebody's recording it, and it becomes scripture. Right? 2 Kings 22, 15 to 20, it becomes scripture. People say women cannot teach men the Bible. Well, they're a woman. I'm a man. But what about Huldah? Now, if God is absolutely against women teaching men, which what I mean is intrinsically, absolutely, women teaching men is wrong, right? If that's true, if something is absolutely wrong, it's wrong all the time. Right? If God is absolutely against women teaching the scriptures to men, it wouldn't, wouldn't he be against it all the time? And not just some of the time? But maybe people say, well, Josiah sent a delegation to Huldah because maybe there were no male teachers. Maybe the country was in such a bad spot that there were no men. So it's like, oh, well, I guess we've got to break the rule. There's no men. That's what I've literally heard denominational leaders say about women in the mission field that teach the Bible. Well, there's no men there, so God will use a woman. Well, so it's not wrong or it is wrong. Guess what? Jeremiah was living in Jerusalem at this moment. Guess who else was in Jerusalem at that moment? Zephaniah. They were contemporaries of Huldah. They were in Jerusalem at that 
time. Well, Josiah, why not send the delegation to Jeremiah or Zephaniah? Maybe he didn't care what gender she was. Maybe he cared that she had the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 1-2, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Ananoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in whose days? In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. Now, wait a minute. They went to Huldah in the 18th year of his reign. Jeremiah had already been there five years prophesying. Zephaniah 1.1, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. And here's interesting. You know that delegation that Josiah sent, it lists all these names? Guess what? You can open up to the book of Jeremiah, and you can find those guys, and you can find those guys' relatives. They were completely interacting with Jeremiah during his ministry. But yet, in this instance, they all went to talk to who? Huldah. Amen. We'll, next, we'll look at the actual reform next week. Chapter 23. When Josiah initiates a massive reform, and the most amazing thing is this. He initiates a massive reform knowing, knowing that it will not turn judgment away from Judah. Knowing that God is not going to change his mind. Knowing that Judah is going to be destroyed and exiled, including Jerusalem and the temple. And Josiah says, I'm still going to initiate a national reform. Maybe it won't have the results people want, but I'm not doing it for results. I'm doing it because it is right to do it. That's what we're going to look at next week. I pray on Friday mornings with, you guys know Dave King, Haven Lane, and with Damien, he leads Canyon Vineyard. And one of the things that we've been praying for the past couple of weeks is literally crying out to God for healing. I mean, Dave told me in his church, he has like six or seven people that literally are going to die if they don't get healed. It's really that dramatic. And I know we've got people here with some really intense diseases and sicknesses. And we are saying, Lord, you are a healer. Somebody said after worship, at Psalm 103, he heals all our diseases, right? And we are going to contend as a church, we are going to see miraculous healings, right? And so what I want to do is finish today, I think we need to pray for healing. So what I'd like you to do, if you need physical healing, and you might say, well, Sam, I've had prayer so many times. I remember John Wimber used to say, don't say that. However many times you've had prayer in the past, so what? What we're doing is praying for healing now. Right? 
so what I'd like you to do is if you need prayer, can you just raise your hand? Raise it up high. So can you hold it up there for a second? What the, re- the rest of you, what I want you to do is look at those hands and, and a few of you gather around each person and ask them what and pray for a few minutes. And we're going to finish with that. Pray for healing for them. So if you see a hand raised up, can you guys just and maybe make a little bit of room around them? And as a church, let's just be a family right now and gather around them and spend some time praying for their healing. And then we'll close when you're done with that. Can we do that today? So Holy Spirit, we ask for power right now. We ask for power in this room. Power to be present to heal. Raise up your hand one more time just so everybody can see it. And then just gather around them. Look for the hand raised and go ahead and gather around them. You guys are all the ministry team. So, Lord, release power for healing this morning as well. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray.